Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Australia's first ever online workplace mental health induction. You can learn more about a custom induction for your business by visiting www.mentallywellworkplaces.com.au. Welcome, Renee. Hi, Sally. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Great to have you here. So I'm just going to ask you some questions and we're just going to have a little chat. Is that good? I love having a chat. I'm always up for a chat. (laughs) Excellent. So, Renee, tell me, what have you been doing for the last five years? The last time I met you, you were studying. Um, Lost track a little bit. Tell me what you've been doing for the last five years. Absolutely. So, Sally, the past five years has been colourful, to say the least. Um, So just to lead into those the past five years so that it makes sense to the listeners um, that might not know me. Back in 2011, I represented myself uh, in a legal matter against the state. It's a fairly long story, but in short, it was involving a police officer that had stalked me and had handcuffed me, and I was actually successful in that action. So as a single mum at the time with no qualifications, it might sound a bit like a gay, uh, David and Goliath story, but it was actually like the darkest time in my life. And as a result of um, being successful in that matter and coming through the other end, I then went on to help hundreds of other people. Um, I spearheaded a few really big campaigns that ended up setting case law where victims had won, and then I published a book, Flirt with Justice, all about my journey. Wow, wow. Well, let's just stop there and take one step at a time. You've had a very busy five years. It's a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. So you self-represented yourself in court. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like who does that? Yeah, who does that? It was a really... Erin Brockovich kind of moment. And when I was in in court, someone yelled out from the back, I'll go Erin Brockovich. And I thought to myself, no, Erin Brockovich actually had a lawyer. So this is not even Erin Brockovich. I'm on my own here. And it was, I just feel at that moment, I had been stripped down to grassroots. So I was against, you know, senior counsel, people that 30 years experience in the legal industry. And I had one pen, I'd lost it downstairs, so I'd borrowed like one of those little yellow Kino pencils out of the bottom of a stranger's handbag. So I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I'm representing myself in this massive legal matter and they said Eves versus the state of Queensland. And at that moment it sounded so huge and I'm standing there with like a Kino pencil from a stranger's handbag. And I think... Every single fear and uncertainty and self-doubt that I'd had in my life up on, up until that moment crept in and it was like, oh, my God, am I smart enough? Am I strong enough? Um, what came up for me was I'm going to look silly, I'm going to sound silly, I might look like an idiot, but then I had to really strip that down and say to myself, what if I look like an idiot? What if? So, because worrying about not coming across smart or 
you know, perhaps looking like an idiot. That's just in the ego. Mm. I knew what had happened to me was wrong. A police officer had come into my home when I was pregnant, had handcuffed me for an alleged traffic matter. Wow. My little boy was born premature. Um, so I should have been compensated for that. That's just a simple matter of right and wrong. So I just had to break it down to simplicity, just simple. This is wrong and I'm going to do something about it. Forget all the fluff. This lady here's 30 years legal experience or I don't have any legal qualifications. Forget that. And and I don't want to make it sound like you can just go into court and just win a court case. Leading up to that, um, interestingly enough, I think uh, I always wanted to be an actor. And when I was in uh, grade 10 or 11, I was in a musical and I got cast to play um, a lawyer that represented uh, people on on issues um, where they had run out of money. And I was singing that song, um, you know, the ABBA song, money, money, money. So, so I got cast as this lawyer on these human rights issues in my school musical and then there I was like 15 years later standing in almost an identical suit actually um, and my friend said to me, well, you wanted to act so just act like a lawyer. And so I went into all these um, different court hearings. I watched matters over estates, um, uh, criminal matters. So I went into courtrooms just to, like you would as an actor, just to understand when do I sit, when do I stand, what do I call the other person, so the other, you know, my friend, how do I address the judge or your honour, and what is the etiquette, what is the courtroom etiquette. So I just got comfortable in that environment so that I wasn't um, sort of spooked by not knowing, you know, what it was supposed to look like and feel like. So I got that out the way and then I went and researched all the information around um, um, civil action and who puts their side of the case forward first, them or me, and when do I get a chance to respond to it and when will the judge talk and when will I get into the witness box, like all those sort of Mm. things that were going on in my head. I wanted to sort of get a program so I knew what was coming up so so there wasn't so many surprises. So I sort of had this little... um, my own little spreadsheet worked out about how it was going to go. And anyway, the trial ran for five days and then I was successful. Wow. So it was amazing. Wow, that is an amazing story. Going through it, what what sort of feelings were happening? What sort of thoughts were going on? How, how did you go through with that alone, I guess, is the question I'm asking you. I think going through it um, from when the initial, um, you know, really traumatic event had occurred, like anybody, you know, when things happen in your life, it's never just one thing that happens. I had my business was crumbling. I'd gone through a breakup. I was financially completely just had hit a wall and it's like the walls were closing in. So I had um, started to suffer really bad anxiety and that anxiety had led to really bad depression. And then I was on medication for the depression, which 
that particular medication made me feel more anxious. So then I was on medication for the anxiety and then I ended up just on this big, um, at the time, medical roundabout. But looking back, it was necessary because there were so um, many things happening that were so traumatic. I just, I needed to, I needed that, I guess, support medically just to be able to pause, you know. So I'm not, um, you know, obviously I went through a big um, healing and a lot of counselling and then a big spiritual phase in my life. Like after that there was the point where I had to get off that medication but because I know that it, 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 it's, it's not necessarily the answer, but for me at the time, it kept me alive. Yeah. It kept me going. It got me to put my left foot in front of my right and it served that purpose. But then when I was ready to feel again and to, um, you know, uh, be willing to um, experience pain and sadness and go through the grieving cycle naturally like I weaned myself off because I I wanted to feel again Mm. I needed to be numb for that time just to get through but there also came a point where I wanted to feel again yeah okay so what was your greatest lesson out of that process the greatest lesson I guess when I had a complete and utter meltdown, and when I say meltdown, everyone's version of a meltdown is different. Mine was that I was on so much medication and I'd been particularly triggered on this one evening um, and I was suffering these really bad migraines, so the doctor had given me some morphine for a migraine. And then I um, took some medication to sleep and then I woke up. I forgot that I'd taken the medication. I was really, really, anyone that's been highly stressed will understand when I explain you just feel really adrenal and really heightened, like you've had 10 cups of coffee mm. and nothing nothing was getting me to sleep. And I, I'd forgotten that I'd taken the previous tablets and so I took some more. Um, so taking, having the, the, the morphine from the doctor for the migraine and then having the tablets and then the tablets I'd forgotten and then the next dose of tablets. In short, what I essentially ended up doing was accidentally overdosing. And I'm so fortunate that um, I had this connection with a wonderful um, kindergarten teacher. She, she, strangely enough, had had a friend that had suicided. And she said when she saw me that day that I had this strange look in my eye that um, – I couldn't take any more. And she said she remembered that look in the person's um, eyes that had that she had lost. And she said she just woke up and she had this really strange feeling. So she came over to my house, looked through the French doors, and she saw me lying on the floor, blood coming out of my eyes, my nose, wasn't breathing, the whole bit, um, called the ambulance, and she saved my life. Mm. Um, so... Um, at that moment, uh, I would just describe myself as completely hopeless, helpless, emotionally, physically, ended up on life support. That was the, that was just the lowest, lowest point in my life. And so to move through that, 
I guess what I had to do was stop trying to conquer these really big goals because my background, I'd achieved some pretty amazing things prior to all of this happening. I'd run a really successful business, um, traveling around the world, producing shows that were in these wonderful casinos. Um, I was living life. I had back in the 90s, I won Miss Bikini World in the Bahamas. So I'd had an exciting life. And there I was, you know, with no one and nothing at my physical and mental rock bottom on a life support machine as a single mum. So I had to really accept that I was at ground zero. And that meant one step at a time, one step. And those steps when you're in that absolute rock bottom they're the hardest steps for people because when you wake up and you just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to die. You might not be suicidal, but you don't want to live. And that is such an abyss to be in. It's this awful lull of that. I'm not going to end it all because I'm, I've got, you know, I've got that fight in me. I'm not going to end it all, but I've got nothing in the tank to go. And it's this, dreadful space to fall into and when I was in that space I started to write lists and I started setting okay what am I going to do today and some days I'd only achieve one minor thing um and you know even if it was just um I'm going to pop down to the shop and get some nappies or some um and and speaking speaking of nappies and I and I wrote this in my book and this was also a turning point for me because when I'd been in um in on life support I'd lost all feeling to the left side of my body so my left leg wasn't working I had heaps of nerve damage and um my car had been repossessed so I was really at rock bottom and and my home backed onto a park I'd run out of baby formula and I thought, I've got to get the baby formula, you know, from, from the chemist. But I'm on, a, I'm on crutches because my left leg's not working. And so I'm thinking to myself, how do I get to the chemist? And I had a toddler at the time who was going through that phase, you know, mummy, pick me up, pick me up and all this kind of thing. So I thought, okay, at the end of the day, I just have to get to the chemist to get this formula for my baby. My car's gone. I can't go and say it's not fair. I can't believe this has happened. I can't go into all that. What I need right now in this moment, forget all the fluff, I need formula for my baby. And the chemist is on the other side of this football field. So anyway, I'm thinking, how am I going to get across there? So I start to play a game with my little son, like, you know, pretending to crawl. Like, because he was like, I'm tired, mummy, I want to go home. I don't want to, I don't want to. So I'm trying to go, come on, come on, and pretending to be a puppy dog, crawling across this field. And I got to the middle of the field um, and I just thought to myself, and he's crawling behind me and he's wanting to be picked up and I can't pick him up. And I didn't have my crutches with me because I wanted to carry the, I had to carry the formula back. So you can't carry a baby formula and crutches. So essentially, long story short, I'm crawling across this football field and I got to the middle and I just had this epiphany and I thought, oh my goodness, like choices, the choices that we make in life are so powerful. Um, it feels like a blink ago. I was standing on this stage in the Bahamas being crowned Miss 
bikini world, travelling around, autographing calendars with my tiara, my crown, you know, all this admiration and praise and the world at my feet and now here I am in the middle of a football field crawling across this football field with my 20 cent, 50 cent pieces, you know, to go buy this baby formula and it was just this defining moment where I thought to myself, it didn't matter if, um, it just didn't matter if anyone else was at fault or who I was angry at or it just nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. It just um, mattered that I kept moving forward. So I think... A really important message in that is that, you know, it doesn't matter how low down you get, and I can't think of much lower than crawling across a football field with some coins to buy baby formula. But I just had to put one foot, not even one foot, one knee in front of the other. Um, And then I crawled and then I walked. Baby steps. Exactly. Until I was at the gym running on a treadmill. Right. You know, so... But so that that low point can look, everyone's low point can look very different for everybody. And, for me, and can look insurmountable by the oh, sounds of things. So unbelievable. So whether it's fall crawling across a, a, a field, you know, to get baby formula, whether you're standing in court and you don't have a pen and you need to borrow a Kino pencil out of a stranger's handbag, the message is everyone's rock bottom and everyone's hardships look different. But when you are in that moment, that is what is going to define you. What are you going to do about it in that moment? Like what is going to be your choice at that moment? And did you reach out for help during those times? No, not a lot. Um, A, because um, financially I didn't feel I was in a position to get the help I needed. Um, B... I felt there was a lot of stigma around saying I'm not coping, especially at the time I had a baby and I was a single mum. And so I I guess I had a lot of fear around saying I'm not doing okay because I, because, you know, I'd had a number of things happen that were quite traumatic. I guess what I was doing in my head was catastrophizing. So I was saying like, oh, if I admit how badly I'm doing, what are, you know, this is going to mean this or that, mm. or they're going to think this about me or say this about me. Like this, th- these thoughts came into mm. my head that just were not even true. No. But they were very real for me and at the often time. often it's not the event it's, uh, um, itself, it's the meaning we make and the words and the thoughts that we put around it. And I see that a lot. Like people get through the event, but then they, either catastrophize or make the worst outcomes in their head and it's more the thought and the the words, the language, the interpretation that does a lot of that damage. That's right. And don't you think that um, people, I know you would have found this, Sally, like people, it's always not about what it's about. So even though... Um, you know, someone will be saying, oh, the problem is my husband's on my phone, on his phone all the time. And then you start unpacking and it's absolutely not even about the husband on the phone. Like it just brings up, you know, you know, when 
it might bring up then, oh, I remember when my dad used to ignore me when I was at, you know, um, netball and I really wanted him to watch. It just becomes like, what? So it's not about your husband being on the phone. So what I found is, um, and this has been so useful for me, is when I've got a problem and when I've got a challenge and I've faced some pretty big ones, like most people, I feel I've I've had a few extra, but um, I think of it. I think of myself as an onion, where I'm pe- peeling the layers back and trying to get to the core of what is this really about? Is this about my fear? Am I in the ego because I don't want to look bad? Um, what 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 is really going on here? Like it's it's about personally exploring where you're at and why and who's triggering you or what's triggering you and and getting to the core every time so that you can um, respond and not react. Mm. So it's that self-awareness, isn't it, that that rather than looking at, at, oh, my husband's always on the phone, what can I do, what's going on for me that I'm being triggered by, things like that. That's it. But that's exactly it. And and I found that most useful when I was in court the time that I'm referring to back in um, 2011 um, because when you're representing yourself, you are your own lawyer. So you can't afford to get emotional. And so when you're being cross-examined in a witness box, you can't respond as the victim or as the person because... I had to think to myself, um, the lawyer that should have been or could have been representing me, the lawyer that could have been representing me at the time, um, what would he or she be saying right now? And so I almost had to get myself into character. So I'd say to people too that are going through these things, do a little role play with yourself and get yourself, build yourself a character. So you are Mary Jo and you're going through whatever. So pretend you've got a counsellor that is Michelle the counsellor. What would Michelle the counsellor be asking or saying to you right now? Um, Really take yourself out of your head and out of what's going on and actually think from the outside looking in um, what actually is this? What's going on here? So really try try your hardest to get that outside perspective. And um, quite often when I'm supporting um, people that go to lawyers, you know, they will be traumatised from what they're going through. It might be um, disputes over estates. It might be family law matters, domestic violence, all sorts of things. And the key thing that you can do to get the the most out of your lawyers. I say, I know you're feeling crazy. I know you're angry and you want to tell 843 stories about your husband did with the neighbour and the, won't pay you any child support. And I, I know all this. I get it. I get it. But, and I know you feel crazy and I've felt crazy, but you have to do, just do your best at pulling yourself together um, to not present like a crazy person because they're going to help you more. So you've just got to pull it in and rein it in and and present yourself. And because quite often what I've found, and, and this is why I'm going into this um, program that I'm building at the moment, Sally, is that you have traumatised people 
going through all sorts of um, different life troubles when they go see a lawyer um, and they're trying to unpack on a lawyer and the lawyer's saying, hang on, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counsellor and they're more often than not completely burnt out. Lawyers, um, and rightly so, they put up a wall and they unplug and they disconnect and that's all to uh, protect themselves from burnout. Yeah, mm. and then when they've got a traumatised person sitting in front of them, they don't respond or they don't appear to respond with empathy. Yet the lawyers I know that care the most about people are actually, you know, they get burnt out. So that the person's thinking, oh, this lawyer give, doesn't give a darn, you know, all they care about is money. And quite often it's not the case. It's that that lawyer has cared too much and they're at their own breaking point. So what I've seen time and time again is these very well-meaning lawyers that go into law um, wanting to help people with justice and wanting to right wrongs and they get burnt out, they shut off, they're sitting opposite a traumatised person, the traumatised person doesn't feel like they're being heard and so you've got a burnt-out lawyer and a traumatised person sitting opposite each other and it's very damaging. So what I'm now doing is moving into a space where I'm supporting lawyers so that um, the people that come and see them don't get secondary trauma from the litigation process right. itself, right? Mm. So um, I spoke to a lady and she said dealing with her lawyers was worse than being sexually assaulted. Um, from secondary trauma. From exactly, from the from the sec exactly secondary tra wow, trauma. Wow, that's pretty. Isn't powerful. that massive? Mm. And then, and then a, another young man who was brutally assaulted, and was so upset at his lawyers, he was willing to walk away without a cent of compensation just so the lawyer didn't get any money because he thought that's what the lawyer cared right. about the most. So he was willing to cut off his nose to spite mm. his face. So this There's is big miscommunication going on. Huge. There. So what's the answer? Because that's not just in law and that can be in doctor-patient, that can be in any professional kind of client relationship where the communication is not connecting. What You know, you've got burnt-out professionals, you've got clients suffering in many, many ways with trauma, depression, anxiety. What, what's, what's the answer? Because obviously with your vast experience in supporting all of these clients through their litigation, you've seen it over and over and over. How do we? I think the answer to that is that there's many industries, um, you know, professional doctor, uh, lawyer, um, they've got to put on a professional front to Absolutely. some degree. yes. And... Um, I think they don't want to blur the lines, so it gets a little bit trick. It gets a bit, mm. yeah, it gets a, a bit funny. But being able to open up and connect and show empathy, I think, is absolutely the way of the future. Um, and it's big business. It's big. It's it is big business being able to show that you have heard what the person says, 
you have digested it, you've understood it, and then you've repeated it back to them in a way that says, I hear you, because I think that's what most people want is they want to be heard, and especially if they've had something happen to them. So um, I went to a dentist recently and I was just blown away by um, his manner. So he said, how are you going? And he said, I bet you don't like going to the dentist, right? And he caught me really off guard. And I said, oh, it's not my favourite thing to do. He said, yeah, most people get really anxious. Why do you think that is? Have you ever had a bad um, experience at a dentist? And he started speaking to me and I was Sally. I was on the floor and his whole dental clinic has positive quotes all around. And he'd gone straight for anxiety. Yeah. He literally started talking to me about my anxiety. anxiety. And I said, oh my goodness. Well, but but actually when I was um, 12 and I had braces and someone that was learning how to do braces, um, you know, uh, messed up and removed a tooth and the block hadn't worked. And I started going into this whole trauma that had happened when I was 12. He said, yeah, I could tell that. I could tell that you were pretty anxious coming in here and I just want to turn that around for you. And I was nearly in tears. I was like having this deep and meaningful with the dentist. I've referred five other people to that dentist. Every single person says, how's that dentist? He's really something else. But that's that's a really valid point that you've made. Just because we're professionals doesn't mean we don't have to be human. I, I think gone are the days of, or they need to be gone, of this ego, ego and people on pedestals and believing that anyone is someone is better than you because they're a professional because we're all human we all come into this earth we're all leaving this earth what job we do doesn't have to define who we are and I think really from everything I see if we can bring in that empathy and and bring in that you know what it's okay for professionals to admit they feel stressed to admit they feel anxious yet still I find it's being covered up a lot it's okay to be vulnerable the power of vulnerability Brene Brown's work it's amazing and I think that connection where you're going is so much needed because let's face it, if you need a lawyer, you're in some sort of crisis and you need someone to hold your hand. You're in strife. There's been an injustice and then on top of there being an injustice, someone's now telling you you've got to pay. That's right. That's just the starting point. Yeah. Something bad has happened to you and can you please put $15,000 in my trust account? Mm -hmm. So I can help you fix it. (laughs) You know, and the the shocks just keep coming. Mm. And with what you say about, yes, I agree very much um, that the professionals, you know, do have this sort of front that they feel they have to keep up. But I think... A lot of that to do, a lot of that is to do with culture. There's different industries, I think, of the police service for one, um, just one of many, where, you know, they're seeing constantly dealing with people that are at the lowest ebb of their life, let's face it. You know, when people are coming, you know, in a contact with police, it's not always positive. So they're dealing with a lot of negativity. And there's no, where's the debriefing? Mm. Like, it's a pat on the shoulder. Um, 
oh, yeah, that was yep, yep, that was a bit of a tough day, mate, or a couple of jokes, and then they go home and it's like, what? They've just, they've just had to tell, you know, a parent that their child's not coming back. They've just seen the worst mm. road. I mean, they've gone through hell mm. and, and they're not debriefing and so they're putting up this stoic, tough wall and then the next time they pull someone over, they're full of all this whatever they're full of and they're not being pleasant. The person getting pulled over is thinking, God, what's this guy's problem? Well, this guy's problem is it there's so much internal um bullying and a, and a culture of all sorts of other issues within that industry. They're not getting to debrief. They're not getting to unpack. They're putting the wall up and then they're taking it out on others. And, and you know, that that's a really big point. And I hear some people say workplace culture is fluffy stuff and I just about lose it because workplace culture um, for people like that in stressful roles is so easily fixed. It's not rocket science to fix that, yet we're still getting resistance from from big kind of, especially, you know, government departments like police. We're still getting resistance. Yet let's look at the solution, whereas we're constantly saying bullying, you know, this, that, everything else. How about we start to focus on the solutions and put all our energy into that? If we put out much energy into solution-focused work instead of reading in the media all the negativity, and, and sorry, media, but you've got a lot to answer for, but for some reason, knowing that, that, that this can be fixed so easily, I struggle to understand what that resistance is. Yeah, and I I hear you and I think what the resistance is is that, you know, when someone s tells their story and is open, it always gives rise for other people to do the same. So, you know, if you're sitting in a group of mums and you've all got toddlers and you say, you know what, I'm not sleeping at all, this is really getting me down. I just feel like I'm tearing my hair out. Like the sleep deprivation is killing me. And then another mum might say, oh, really? Oh, God, I feel that way too. I thought it was just me. And then all of a sudden the women are talking about how the sleep deprivation is is um, affecting them. So in a workplace scenario, they want to appear on top of things and they want to appear um, as if they're coping and that they can handle it. And particularly in the legal industry, there's still that culture that if they're struggling, um, maybe they're not up for the challenge. Maybe they can't take the heat because it's this highly conflictive um, environment. And if they start to say things like, Oh, that really, that really hurt my feelings. Or I'm, I'm really stuff. quite offended. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, mate, get on with it. Are you right? Yeah. So I think if there are leaders in organizations, pioneers. Yeah. That yeah. can shine a torch down a pathway, um, by showing that leading by example, by saying, showing and saying, you know what? I'm I'm just having a real tough time at the moment. Like I don't know what it is. I haven't, you know, I haven't been sleeping well. 
I haven't been, you know, exercising. I haven't moved my body in two weeks. I just, I feel like I'm stagnant. I feel overwhelmed, you know, and I know I'll get through it, but I'm just at a lull at the moment. And just being vulnerable, gosh, it can really open up the space for other people to say, oh, And then put support and education programs around that so that people have the tools to be able to to manage that process because we're not just seeing it in workplace. We've seen the political arena with these bushfires. We've seen one of the things that stood out to me is the Harry and Meghan story. Everybody's having a go at them. Like that's just putting out negative energy isn't it constantly and oh and you know what the message I took away from that Sally um and I made a little meme about it because I was so inspired and I thought if that is not a message to walk away from anything or anyone that does not serve you I don't know what is no can you imagine very powerful isn't it yeah, yeah coming up against an institution like that and you know you think about this I was actually thinking about Megan last night because you can't help but it come it's coming up in everyone's news feeds it's everywhere and I was thinking oh my goodness this girl she said goodbye to her career People say, oh, but she know what she, you know, she knew what she signed up for. Nobody knows. Even going into a marriage, people don't know what they signed up for until you're well and truly in. And, and it's the negativity that's been placed all around it. She's damned if she does and she's damned if she don't, didn't. But this is not a political show. My concern is around why as a society are we continually focusing on negative where's that being driven and how do we stop it i think what it's done what this whole scenario has done has brought up a lot for people um in the way that they think about their own family dynamics so you've got you know her father that's allegedly leaked this letter you've got the the bitter sister that will tell an interview to everybody you've got um you know, so much going on within that family unit where there's betrayal and there's, you know, all these um, jealousy and all these key things that actually happen in a lot of families. And actually happen in a lot of workplaces. Exactly. And I think people are following this story, this Megan and Harry story, and they're just seeing part of themselves in it. They're like, oh, that's either, you know, my grandma's very controlling or my father this or, um, you know, oh, I don't have the luxury of just walking away from a job if I want to. They're the people that aren't happy in their job. So it's bringing up Mm. so much because I don't know if you've read the comments, but they're very Mm. invested. Mm. It's And they're very 50-50. Yeah. So they're not not just one-sided. They're coming from both sides. Can you imagine being her? And sitting there against the world's one of the world's most powerful institutions, feeling like you don't have the backup of your family, dealing with racism. But you see, that's the point. For all we know, she does have the backup of family. But what comes out are made up stories. Great point. And that's what happens in workplaces with bullying and these sort of things. They're made up stories. And to me, what you're doing with your new program in the legal profession is focusing on and bringing programs that find solutions. Imagine if as 
a global world, we all focused for one day on solutions, the shift in the energy. Oh, I mean, my dream is to go into um, these these law firms and not only not only assist the lawyers, but actually uh, support the clients of the lawyers mm. that are going the victims, through yeah. the victims that are going through trauma. Because, you know, anyone that's been divorced, it's not fun to go through divorce. It's not fun when families have spats over wills. I mean, it's all overwhelming. Very few people escape seeing a lawyer in their life. At Mm. some point, you're going to see a lawyer. And what I want to change and what I am going to change, I know I'm going to, is people's experience when they go see a lawyer so that it's not causing further damage. And, you know, they're under stress for their you know, they've got to get their billable hours up and I know they're, you know, they're they're under the pump themselves but what I say to them is make no mistake, empathy and connection, it's not a free public service project. It is a bottom line, big business enhancing commodity. So, So this is not about, this is not about fluffy fluff fluff this is about hey, this is going to do your business. There's a there's a guy that went and saw a lawyer um, that I know, and he said, my job is to take to transfer the weight of what you're carrying with this matter to take that weight off your shoulders and put it onto mine so that you can get on with your life. That was a defining moment. That law that law firm got referred over three million dollars in work because all that lawyer was saying in that moment is what I'm hearing from you is you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, and you I'm can't here take to support it. You. And I'm here to take that on for mm, you. Beautiful analogy. I'm here yeah. to take it on. And um you know if if lawyers can get some um further knowledge around what they can do and say so that the people that come and see them feel supported it's going it's it's going to enhance their mental health it's going to reduce their burnout it's going to increase their business the clients don't get the secondary trauma literally Sally everyone is a winner with what mm. I'm trying to teach here yeah this is and and it fits so beautifully because you know my mission in my, in life is to reduce those dreadful mental health and suicide statistics and here at career development center we do a lot of work in that but by people like you going into each separate industry with tools that can help that because it takes an army to build change and so it's about connecting with people that have that same um focus on hey let's let's do some good in the world exactly and and you know I love when I was going through I did your mentally well workplace um induction which I loved and enjoyed and what came up for me in that was there were various questions that actually triggered me into thinking oh I didn't think of it that way or Oh, that's what that was. So even just the um, questions being asked, what they can do is when the person is next in that situation in a work environment and something's happening, 
they will, it will be in the back of their mind that they've done this induction in your program. And I think they'll say, ah, there's probably more to this. I think what it does, it it will inspire people to just dig a little bit deeper in that moment. And and to know how far to go and without crossing any boundaries. But in most things in life, it's awareness, it's education. We don't know what we don't know. And so probably in your situation, an industry that's, you know, suffering traumatic cases every day and lawyers, quite often each person doesn't know those skills. And so it's as simple as awareness and not major education. We're not talking five years at university like they've done for their law degree. So it's it's these kind of things that will implement change. So I applaud what you're doing. It fits beautifully with what we're doing. Renee, for our listeners, your book. Yes. It's called Flirt with Justice. Um, so it it's I just poured my heart out into the book, Sally. And I was so hesitant when I first started writing it because I guess I was pouring out everything that had hurt me, everything that had uh, made me feel vulnerable. Um, I pointed out my weaknesses and, you know, you want to get out to the world. And I come from my background in the dancing and modelling industry where you put your hair and makeup on, your eyelashes, your Botox, I mean – you're, you're putting your best foot forward. And so it was really, really challenging for me to not put my best foot forward, to actually put my most broken foot forward and say, this is me at my most broken. This is what it looked like. This is what it looked like for me. And this is what you can, you know, this is what you can do about it if it looks like that for you or, or it looks similar for you. And so yeah, my book my book takes you through. Um, I describe it from um, tiara to tears to triumph <laughs> to the football field. Exactly <laughs> to the fo- to crawling across the football field. So where can people get a copy if they'd like a copy of your book? Oh, Dimmick's bookstores, and they can get it online. ReneeEves.com. They can order it online. Um, be more than happy to sign a copy for them. Beautiful. So, Renee, we're going to follow your journey and so we'd like to get you back in um, six or 12 months and hear the success you've had with implementing this program. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today and good luck. Thank you, Sally, and thank you for everything that you're doing in the space of mental health because there is such a stigma around it and I really believe you are being in true service to be shining a light on this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sally. Bye, Renee. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.